This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. Atrial fibrillation, or AFib, affects an estimated 2.2 million people in the U.S., and its strong connection to stroke makes it something we should all know about. Here to fill us in on what we need to know are Lori Langdon, a registered nurse and the Heart Failure Program Coordinator, and Michelle Vallalunga, a registered nurse as well and the Data Coordinator for Upstate's Level 1 Comprehensive Stroke Center. Welcome to you both. Thanks so much for coming in. Lori, let me begin with you. Let's, let's help us all understand what we mean when we say atrial fibrillation or AFib. What exactly is it? Okay, um, well the heart has its own electrical system and the heart itself is a pump and it has to pump blood through the whole body. But it's the electrical part of the heart that actually makes the heart beat, which you feel when you feel your pulse. So with atrial fib, it's a type of heart rhythm disorder and it's called an arrhythmia. And it's called that because there's a fault in the electrical activity and it causes the heart to either beat irregularly or it becomes very uncoordinated in how it beats. So it's really um, a glitch in the electrical part of the heart. But what about that, you know, creates this whole connect, kind of connection with stroke? I mean, what what's the problem with it beating too fast or, or I guess, not too slow? It's usually it's too fast. Mm -hmm. what, what does it do, you know, mechanistically to create a problem? Okay, there are, actually, you have four chambers in your heart, and there's an upper one, there's upper ones and lower ones. The signals come from the upper chamber, and they go down to the lower chamber and tell the heart to beat. But what happens in atrial fib, instead of one signal going from point A to point B, you can have like 100 and 150 different signals just popping all over the place, and some get through and some don't. And what happens is that upper chamber just does not contract. It doesn't um, squeeze in synchrony. Doesn't do its job. Yeah, it just doesn't do its job. And what happens is blood can pool, and that's where the clots can come into play. So that's really the danger. That's that it the pools dangerous part. In the wrong spot, mm -hmm. and clots can develop and then shoot out in some way and create any number of issues exactly. for you. Mm -hmm. So, how common is it? Um, it's really a very common, it's actually the most common heart arrhythmia that there is. And about over 2 million Americans have atrial fib. And the thing is, our risk increases with age. Um, and actually, the number of people with AFib, it actually doubles every decade of our life over the age of 50. So it actually is a very common thing. You know, it's very interesting. You would think that, I mean, sometimes I marvel at the fact that our heart is beating continually, and some people can literally live into their late 90s, mm -hmm. even into their hundreds, and that heart is still going, which is really kind of an amazing thing. So it, it's not unexpected that you would think that some some electrical issues or some problems could, mm -hmm. could take place, especially as we age. So, Michelle, how does what's the relationship then? We talked a little bit about this idea of a clot forming. What's the likelihood, or or is having a fib leave you more likely to have a stroke? Yes, and and what happens with that clot, of course, is it comes out of the heart and can get lodged into one of the arteries of the brain, and that basically causes a blockage. And because of that blocked artery, the tissue that would normally get that nice, oxygenated, rich blood from the heart 
is blocked. Um, the blood can no longer get through and the tissue dies off. So that's really um, the mechanism of the stroke. And um, with AFib, you're about five times more likely to have a stroke than just the general population. So not everybody who has AFib goes on to have a stroke, right. but the incidence or the prevalence is higher in those who have AFib. Right, and AFib, you know, like, you, like you're saying, AFib pretty much is, is a risk factor for stroke. So it makes you that five times more likely. Um, Lori, if somebody has AFib, does that mean they will always have it? In other words, let's say at age 50 or something, they have some incidents, and we'll talk about what it's like to feel AFib. Mm -hmm. Does that mean they are a patient who is it has AFib for the rest of their life? Does it come and go? What's it like? Yes, um, atrial fib can come and go um, because some people there's the reason they go into it is maybe heart surgery or maybe they have an episode of heart failure and then it can go away. So it can come and go. Um, but the, um, or but it if, can be under control. It can also be under control. We'll talk so, about how it's yeah. controlled. Mm -hmm. But the point is, if you once you're diagnosed with it, you really have to think of yourself as someone who has it, yes. so to speak. Yes. But how do you, how does someone know they have it? What are some of the symptoms? Well, that's the problem with atrial fib. A lot of times people just do not have symptoms, and that's what makes it very dangerous because people who have it are at risk for stroke. But... Um, some of the symptoms are a fast, pounding, um, irregular heartbeat, and when that happens, it can make you dizzy, it can make you feel very short of breath because the heart just isn't pumping as efficiently as it should. So you can become dizzy, some people pass out, um, some people have the extreme of chest pain or chest tightness. So really, I always tell people, if you're not feeling right, you know what your body normally feels like. Just don't ignore symptoms like that. Well, it almost could be a heart attack, too. Yes, yes. So obviously, mm -hmm. any of those kinds of symptoms mm -hmm. would suggest something. something's mm -hmm. going on. Mm -hmm. But it can be something as simple as just a little fluttering feeling in the chest as well. Yes. Mm -hmm. So who is most at risk? You, both of you were alluding to the fact that age plays a role. But tell us a little bit more about who's most at risk for this. Um, like we said, the increased age, but also people with high blood pressure. Um, diabetics are more at risk. Um, having a problem with your heart valves can also put you at risk. Having a previous heart attack, uh, thyroid problems, uh, sleep apnea. Oh, really? Sleep yeah, apnea sleep apnea well. actually really does put a lot of stress on the heart and um, excessive alcohol intake or illegal drug use, any of those things can actually cause atrial fib. So we don't, do they exactly know what, other than the advanced age making you more predisposed, I think more predisposed to anything going wrong as you age, but do they understand why some people get it and others do not? It's not really not very well understood, um, but anything that, like after heart surgery or heart attack, there's a lot of, um, there can be like swelling on the inside of the heart after heart surgery that can cause that because your electrical system is embedded in your into your heart muscle. So there's disruption in some way yes. in the normal functioning of the mm -hmm. heart. Yes. Mm -hmm. Anything of that nature. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with stroke prevention experts Lori Langdon and Michelle Vallalunga. We're talking about atrial fibrillation or AFib and stroke and what you need to know. So Michelle... How is AFib diagnosed? Um, well, the the most common uh, way to diagnose it is to do an electrocardiogram. 
so your physician will do that um, as well as you can do um, you can check your own pulse by feeling your wrist um, and if you don't you know you would feel a much faster beat um, and you it would not be regular you'd be able to tell in that case um, or your your physician of course can um, check and hear that irregularity with if he's he or she's listening with a stethoscope so obviously it really needs to be accurately diagnosed mm -hmm. so I would say if you're experiencing any of these potential Absolutely. symptoms you want to go to a health care mm -hmm. provider mm -hmm. and ascertain whether you really have AFib so what are the medications Lori um, or what are the treatments, rather? Well, there's um, a couple of different treatments, but um, typically they start with medications. Um, you either, there's two things you're trying to do, is either get the heart back into a normal rhythm, and, or if the rate is very fast, you want to get that heart rate under control, because heart rates, when you're in AFib, can get up into the 150s and higher, and um, so you want to get that underneath control. And the other thing um, is the stroke prevention, so you want to do anticoagulants or blood thinners. If medications don't work, um, you can also try cardioversion, in which the heart is shocked back into a normal rhythm. And the other thing are some more invasive things called an ablation or a pace and ablate procedure, and those are just a little bit more invasive, but you usually try the medications and the cardioversion so first. So just for the layperson, Basically, you're trying to do things that, in terms of medications, like beta blockers, things that slow the heart down, mm -hmm. or the anticoagulants so that if you do form a clot, you're less likely, or the tendency that is there to form a clot, you're basically preventing clot formation by giving someone an anticoagulant. And then the procedural things, like you said, if it's bad enough, perhaps, it depends on severity or frequency, mm -hmm. they might actually try to do things like put some kind of a catheter in your heart deliver some heat and change mm -hmm. the way this rhythm system is working. Mm -hmm. Sometimes yeah. they also will use a pacemaker, am I right? Yes, um, sometimes they'll do that as well. So Michelle, help us understand what someone who has AFib needs to know in terms of stroke prevention. Right, I think um, one of the biggest, I kind of like to think of it in, in three different areas. Um, the first thing you can do is to educate yourself. Um, learn what you can learn, use different resources that are out there, um, be an active uh, participant in your own health, talk to your doctor, and I think the more with AFib, since it is fairly complicated um, and it's something that does stay with you through your life, you're going to definitely want to learn as much as you can about that. So you need to be educated, um, and you want to make sure that you are working in partnership with your doctor. So if you are, for example, given some of those anticoagulant medications, which, as many of us know, have to be followed very closely and may involve blood draws, frequent blood draws, um, depending on the type of medication they prescribe, you want to make sure that you go for those blood draws, that you... Um, follow any of the recommendations that, that the physician does because they're really trying to help control that blood level and the level of that medication in your system. So you really need to be compliant. Absolutely. You need to be a cooperative patient. That's key. Right. And I think, um, you know, since AFib um, tends to end up in a lot of the elderly patients, we always encourage our, our patients to you know, um, ask for help, use a resource, use a family member um, to make sure they go for their appointments, keep a journal, um, and, you know, take someone with them so that they can have a resource to help them be compliant. So basically, in so you're saying basically 
do your treatment. Right. But are there other things that people should know in terms of what to look out for, what to be aware of? I mean, if you are an AFib patient. Right. I yeah, I think one of, well, one of the biggest things along with medication is um, blood pressure control. So being aware of your blood pressure, um, working again, working with your physician to control that. And some of the um, heart healthy habits that we all are told about um, are definitely things that the patient themselves have control over. Um, controlling their cholesterol through their diet, through regular physical activity. Um, are you limited to physical? In other words, if you have AFib and it's it's under control or you're in medication or what have you, do you have to worry about exerting yourself with any kind of exercise program? Not usually, no. And and you, you definitely would want to check with the doctor just to make sure what you're undertaking is, is okay. But generally speaking, they, they encourage that person with AFib to be as physically active as they can. So the point is it needs to get under control. You need to have it diagnosed properly. Mm -hmm. You need to have it under control either through the combination of medications, potentially some procedural thing. But you need to also be on the watch for this potential danger of stroke. And help us again, remind us, we know we've heard it many, many times. Mm -hmm. What are we on the lookout for when it comes to stroke? For stroke, um, there are uh, several things that you want to look at. You want to um, be concerned if you have sudden numbness or weakness, especially on one side of the body. And the sudden piece is important too because usually with stroke, it's a sudden onset. It is something that oh, all of a sudden just comes on you. Um, you also want to be concerned if you have sudden confusion, trouble speaking or trouble understanding. Also vision, if you have trouble seeing, that could also be a warning sign for stroke. Um, and dizziness, trouble walking, loss of balance, um, that sometimes isn't in our profile, as well as a sudden severe headache. So, there, and they often say that FAST, um, Lori, that, that F-A-S-T is the acronym that's used, again, to underscore the importance of reacting quickly mm -hmm. to those symptoms. But remind us what those mean. Do you remember? Yes. Face? Well, yes. Face, arm, speech, and time. Okay. And, and time being the key. The very key. Because the quicker that you can get for stroke treatment, the greater uh, your chances are for a better outcome. So I guess what's the takeaway, both of you, either of you, just a little bit of time we have left. Will you first? Um, for AFib, um, pay attention to, to your, listen to your body. And if you notice that you are, have any of those symptoms that we discussed, especially the pounding in your chest or the fluttering, get that checked out. That would be the biggest thing. And take your medicines, take your medication. Yeah, and basically look out for anything. Mm -hmm that could be a stroke right. and get to the hospital get yes. to the hospital <laughs> as, as quick soon as, as you possible. can That's right. thank you so much my guests have been Lori Langdon a registered nurse and the heart failure program coordinator and Michelle Vallalunga a registered nurse and the data coordinator for Upstate's level one comprehensive stroke center I'm Linda Cohen and you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air